today's podcast, I have a guest that is, do you know, I'd heard this name bounded about a couple of times and I'd never met the guy, never seen him speak, didn't really know what he was into or, or anything like that. And then I was at an event and he was one of the speakers. And I don't know if you've ever been somewhere where what someone is offering you is just has is so much on your wavelength and is so much what you want to hear and need to and wish more people in the world thought that way. But also at the same time, it's like you're being smashed in the face with all this great stuff and you can barely, barely, barely keep up. That's kind of what happened. And um do you know, I was one of those obnoxious people in the crowd that day. Like partway through, I was like, wait, wait, wait. I'm like in the middle of this room. I, I don't know how many people were in the room. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. I can't keep up. Say that a bit again. I need to write it down word for word. This guy was just just immense in what he was sharing. And um, and look, towards the end of, of his session, he asked a question and um you know, he, he sort of mentioned something he was involved with, which I'm sure I'll bring into the conversation today. And I shot my hand up and I was like, if I sign up for that before you finish, before you get off this stage, will you come on the podcast? And he was like, fair exchange. Absolutely. Yes. And today I get to speak to him. I don't think I've done so much preparation and yet felt so unprepared for what is coming our way. I'm this guy is full of so much passion. I think I'm pretty passionate when I'm talking about, you know, my subject of choice, but this guy is pure passion. And I really hope that you get to get to hear that in this podcast. Um, I know, I know he's not going to disappoint. Today, I welcome to the podcast, the amazing Dylan Denicha. Welcome to the Christina Talks podcast. Thank you so much for having me and for asking. I'm just so grateful to be here. I'm so, so I've done a mini intro that basically described how I'd heard your name, didn't know anything about you, never bothered to look you up, basically. Um, I'm all about the honesty. Turned up at an event and you were speaking and you essentially just smashed me in the face with all this stuff. And it was oh, fantastic. Um, I've literally like printed like sound effects, like printed off all my notes from that day because I don't know where to start. I've never done so much preparation to talk to someone and yet felt so unprepared. You are um, you are an ist. A philanthropist, a economist, a sociologist, a like I, I want to say like traderist and consultantist and like all this stuff as well. So it's like there's all this stuff that's like fiercely intelligent, but at the same time, you are a through and through human with so much love and so much understanding of the world that I think that um, there's just so much to go. There's so, so many places to start. So the first thing that got my attention when you started speaking was that you, you talked about your parents and you are the child of refugees. Now, my mother is a, is a refugee, okay, and... Um, so I think it was the early 70s, 
your parents arrived, my, my mother arrived late 70s. So straight away, I kind of felt like there's this connection here because we talk about growing up in trauma, but actually growing up in the being the child of someone that's had to fight, you know, we learn things from our parents. And so that immediately pitches you in a certain area, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And thank you for that beautiful, those beautiful words, that beautiful introduction. Interesting you said, you, you said about human, because the word that was going through my mind, like if I was to label myself as anything, um, and I'm actually trying to de-label myself even from my first name at the moment, I'm trying to really like relinquish all these labels. But if I was to label myself as anything, I think it would be a humanist, um, even more than a spiritualist or any of these other So thank you so much. What a beautiful, beautiful introduction. And you're absolutely right that when you grow up in a, a situation and a family unit or even an environment that has suffered some sense of trauma, even if you haven't suffered the trauma yourself, certainly you pick up characteristics and traits and, and, and no doubt your mother went through quite the traumatic experience as, as minded and as so many others do, whether they're refugees or not. And you can't but pick up some of those traits. You can't but kind of develop some of those fears and some of those anxieties and some of those insufficiencies in your own psyche, because that's, of course, the filter through which you are being brought up. And I don't think that they bring us up through those filters intentionally. I think it is a case of, I love my children so much, I definitely don't want them to go through what I went through. And by the way, I've been so shit scared at points in my life that I am now really worried about my children. And so therefore they become maybe overly protective, maybe overly um, guiding, let's use the word guiding rather than controlling, because it is guidance. From their paradigm, it's guidance. Maybe we receive it as control, but from their paradigm, it's very much guidance. So yeah, I totally resonate with you. And I'm, yeah, I, I feel just as much of a connection as you do. And I'm so glad you put your hand up and you asked the question, and it was like I was on stage. And I remember you were you were at the back of the room. You weren't even at the front of the room. You were on one of the rear tables, just to the right of the cameraman. And we had this conversation in front of however many people. It was a big room, and it was a brief conversation. And you just put it out there and said, "If I do this, will you do this?" And like the deal was done. And I'm just yeah. so, yeah, just so blessed to to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. So. Like I said, I've got, I, I haven't so much got questions. I've just got things that you talked about that just struck me so much that I just, I want to talk around those topics. So you, you talk about, obviously, you know, with, with what you do is very, very much linked to, to wealth, but not necessarily financial wealth. But you were talking about, you said like master, you, we need to master money across two planes of existence, the metaphysical and the material. And you almost lost me for a second then because I was like, oh, it's all going to get a little bit woo. And I think you even acknowledged that on the stage and sort of said, right, you know, like just stay with me now. And it was fantastic. So let's talk around that. Yes. And it's absolutely a blessing to have your exact words spoken back at you and that that is like literally exactly what I said I mean it's just so beautiful that you would be that engaged in in the conversation that we had to, to have those exact words down and 
I guess if we broaden this out a little bit and we look at the economy and money as a microcosm of the macrocosm, essentially what I'm saying is that life itself happens on two planes of existence, the material and the metaphysical, the way that you express yourself in the material world and the way that you experience life in the metaphysical. And money is no different. You know, money operates on two planes. You have an expression in the material world, the things you do, the things you sell, the things you buy, the people you engage and transact with. But it also has this metaphysical element, which is the way that you think about money, the way that you feel about money, the way that you harness the laws of vibrational energy to ensure that you are at all points free of fear, free of greed, fear of insufficiency. You are moving towards a place of unity and stewardship. So these are the kind of, the metaphysical, I would say, is the way that you think about money and the material is the way that you transact with money. And isn't that just a microcosm of the macrocosm? Isn't all life around the way that you think about things and then what you do practically about those things that are more often than not rooted in that thought? And so when I give these talks that are specifically to audiences of entrepreneurs like yourself, essentially, you know, the hook is wealth and money, but it really is just to convey the idea that we operate on a on a dual plane existence, metaphysical and material. And if I can use the economy and wealth and money and my understanding of wealth creation, I've been very blessed to have that understanding of the metaphysical and the material and, and very blessed to have moved so quickly out of you know, extreme financial difficulty, all, by the way, self-inflicted, none of it because my parents couldn't afford to bring me up. They sacrificed everything to bring me up, I'm sure, as mum did for you. So none of my financial misdemeanors were self-inflicted. They were indeed a product of my conditioning around money for sure. But we, we moved very quickly from six figures down when I got back from volunteering in Rwanda and I ended up recklessly, guiltily, shamefully giving everything away and borrowing money to give away to this very blessed position where I'm able to spend you know, all day Friday working on passion projects, speaking with passionate human beings like you and just having literally the time of my freaking life. And that has only come as a result of the, the blessing I had, which was to be deeply rooted, steeped in religious dogma in the earliest years of my life, but then being able to transcend beyond the religious dogma, using that as a, as a springboard from which to find uh, uh, and enjoy an experience of spirituality, but also being, um, we used the word guided earlier, being guided by my parents to understand the economy, to study economics. The one thing they weren't able to guide me into doing was to go and work for the big five. And I remember having you know, job offers from a couple of the big five and then a job offer from an internet startup. This is way back in 2000 and going for the startup. Um, and that led me down all sorts of rabbit holes. But that's what I mean when we talk about the material and the metaphysical. The economy is just a, macro, a microcosm of the macrocosm. And all life exists on those two planes, how we think and how we transact. Fantastic. You, um, sort of leading on from that, you talk about 
sort of self actually self actualization and actually you know you think about Maslow and like that like it just ends there that's the top you you you've like you, you've made it but then you started talking about self-transcendent self-transcendence you can tell I'm excited talking to you because I keep falling over my words but it, it it was like that in itself just suddenly it it just feels like that in itself opens up a world of opportunity it really does and I get like I can feel my eyes welling up and I can feel the goosebumps even when you talk and you mention the idea of transcending beyond the needs of self because and that wasn't something I made up my understanding is and, and I can't validate this because I can't speak with Maslow but my understanding is that he was annoyed with so many people labeling themselves as self-actualized. And like he was talking about how if you were self-actualized, you would not need to label yourself as self-actualized. We need another level above this. We need something else. Um, and that's where this idea of self-transcendence came. He never published that officially, but that's my understanding. And if you think about that in context of 2022, the world we live in right now, where there is a huge consolidation of power at the top, as we spoke about, where we have the beginnings of the advent of the metaverse, which, which will fundamentally change the way that we transact with each other, because we will not be transacting with each other in the way that maybe um, is most beneficial for the evolution of our species. And what I mean by that is, we will continue to operate in this world through a place of fear and separation and insufficiency and ownership. It's just that we'll be doing it in a virtual world. And what do most people want today? If you ask most people what they want, they want what the Instagram influencers have got. They want money, they want looks, and they want sex. And in the metaverse, you can essentially have as much money as you want. You can look like anything you want and you can get as much booty as you possibly can. So what people will do is to exclude themselves from what they consider to be the dystopia outside their virtual reality goggles. And they will move into this utopia where they can immediately be rich, immediately be gorgeous and immediately be, um, well, you know, Really you know, the word. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess when you look at this idea of self-transcendence, transcending beyond your own needs and working for being for the highest good of all, in my heart, the highest good of all is defined as moving the species forward and on the evolutionary spectrum. And in my translation of that, essentially, I see a species that is operating from beyond its five senses. Right now, we operate from our sensory perception. We see things, we touch things, we taste things, we hear things, we smell things. And in my world, or in my vision of a utopian existence, we move beyond that to really tap into the power of our brains and really unleash 
the, the, the power of our sentience. Now, you could say, well, in the metaverse, Dylan, we are living beyond the five senses because we're not really smelling and touching and tasting and hearing and seeing. We're, we're doing it all through VR. And yes, we are. But we're letting the machines dictate how we experience life rather than truly experiencing the exuberance and the bliss and the joy that is available to us and evolving as a species beyond maybe even a material existence towards a more energetic ex existence. I, I was reading the other day and have been doing for quite some time how apparently we are a really young species. Um, it was described as we are like children playing with matches in a highly combustible environment, whereas the more highly evolved species that are energetic beings, this is why we can't see anything else in the cosmos. It's all there, but we can't see it because we operate from a sensory perception, not an energetic perception. And so my utopian existence is one where we can operate from an energetic perception and we can really play a role in the cosmos. And that could be utter nonsense and I could be just in cloud cuckoo land and it could be the LTEs, the long-term effects of a, a, of a, a 20 spent in um, drug field debauchery. I don't know. But that is where I feel the species could go. But right now we're caught living through our senses, living on high alert, living in fear, living in separation, living in insufficiency, living to own rather than living to be stewards. And the ultimate stewardship is stewardship over the evolution of your species, which is why I'm just so excited to share this stuff with you, which is why I'm so excited to be invited into some pretty mainstream rooms with entrepreneurs doing actually some pretty cool stuff in the mainstream world. And so yeah, I just find all this stuff really exciting. And I haven't got the answers. I don't even know if anything I say is absolutely true or not. Like there's no way of validating what I say. Um, I just don't know. Um, but, but I think this is this is where the, the 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 best ideas come from. You know, we're talking about the metaverse now. Someone somewhere went, hey guys, let's do this. And at that point, there was no way of validating that idea. And yet we are, you know, it's gonna be a few weeks before this is published, but you know, the first thing I did this morning was write an article about the fact that Facebook share prices dropped by 26% in, in the last 48 hours, essentially, you know, and, and it's kind of been, like been filled in questions here, there and everywhere with a little bit of comment. And, you know, it, it's just like, it's only a million users, it's only a million Facebook users that have kind of triggered this. You think globally, a million people, it's like it wasn't even 1% that this drop in daily active users, and, and, and it's just kind of, our expectation is that Facebook is the giant and Facebook, like wherever else, okay, maybe not the, 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 for someone that's all day, every day in social media marketing, Facebook's the God. My expectation is whatever comes along, Facebook's just gonna gobble it up. This is the first time, first piece of evidence where actually that might not be true. TikTok might be the thing that's broken the mold, you know, and, and it's just like all of a sudden. I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's the first time, as you say, it's the first time actually in Facebook's history, isn't it, yeah. that they had a drop Decline. in users month on month. And yeah. you know, that is, I mean, it could be a blip. And as an economist, I really do kind of assume that these initial drops 
perhaps are just a blip and we need a pattern. We need to see what happens over the next quarter, maybe the next six months. But I, I really do hope that they do not have as much control over the evolution of our species as they have had already. And, you know, I'll give you a small example of kind of where this realisation that we are being choked in our evolution, we are being choked in our expression has come from. So, you know, I've put a few posts up over the last six months or so that have been kind of outside the parameters of my usual contribution to people's news feeds. And they have been maybe some level of political commentary. So I did a post yesterday on, you know, this idea that the, 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 the foreign affairs minister and the leader of the Ukraine and the leader of Russia, all three of them are asking the West to calm down in their rhetoric around an imminent war. And they have shown evidence that the 100,000 troops on the borders of Ukraine, it's nothing new. It's a springtime exercise. It happened last year. Uh, there have been, um, you know, on the fringe reporters who have spoken to troops on both sides of the border who have all said, yeah, it's pretty calm here, nothing really to worry about. You know, both leaders of both countries have said, we don't want war. And yet you've still got the rhetoric from Biden and so many countries in the West. Biden is talking about an imminent attack on the Ukraine and the Ukraine leaders are saying there is none. The Russian leaders are saying there is none. And you start thinking about how this plays into perhaps the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the withdrawal from so many other territories where essentially the West find themselves in less conflict today than ever before. And we know that war makes money. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is, of course, gas supply to Europe comes largely from Russia. The UK like to think of themselves as not dependent on Russian gas, but actually they buy a lot of their gas from Europe anyway. So the fact that Europe is dependent on Russian gas means that the UK largely is, although now we're having tankers of liquid gas brought over from the States. Now, my point for sharing this is that, is there a link that we need to be spotting? You know, is there a link between the pressure on the Western world by, placed on it by itself to go to war and to instigate a self-fulfilling prophecy? Talk about war, talk about threat, people begin to think there's a threat, now there is a real threat, and now we're in real war. And is there a kind of, is there an underlying motivation here? Remember, the politicians are just puppets. The politicians don't control anything. They are essentially at the behest of those that control them. If you were at the top of the wealth spectrum, and if you wanted to suck up tons of resource from the middle and the lower classes who have become extraordinarily wealthy over the last few years on cheap debt, on cheap credit, on cheap assets. What would you do? You would potentially, as a first stop, create huge inflationary pressure on energy prices because that's what everybody in the Western world uses. The way that you might do that is to place a ton of pressure on the countries that are essentially providing those resources. So imagine, you know, Biden, and this is all speculation, but it's some of the dots I think we need to join because these are the dots that keep the world living in fear and stop us from self-actualizing, stop us from evolving because they keep us at a low vibration. But Biden essentially 
creates a war between Russia and the Ukraine. The West support Ukraine. Russia turns the taps off on the gas, and all of a sudden, the West are plunged into fuel poverty, essentially. Now, that may or may not be a link, that may or may not be reality, but I do think as human beings, when we begin to understand economics and politics and sociology and geopolitics and not turn off the news, as so many of us are advised to do by the big personal development gurus, don't watch the news, it's bad for you, turn the telly off. Well, we're playing into the, into the, the, the requirement for those that are in control to remain ignorant. They want us to remain ignorant. And we don't watch the news, and therefore we don't know what the F is going on in the world, and so we can't join the dots. Now, I'm not saying these dots are real. We're coming back to this point around Facebook. So I did a post yesterday on that. It was at one hour, and the only reaction it had was from my wife. And that's only because we were driving down to London, and I said to her, just check in on that post, and if it hasn't got a reaction, like put a reaction and a comment on there to try and trigger something. Now, Normally, I'm not suggesting that I'm like influencer of the century. In fact, I'm not. I'm a minnow. But I normally put posts up and they get immediate traction, immediate comments, immediate reactions. That's not the only post that has been picked up in some way, shape or form by whatever bots are preventing words getting out. Now, look, I'm not suggesting by any stretch that Facebook has a, an obligation to publish anything I post or anything anyone posts. They can shadow ban me. They can do what they want. But my hope is that that does not grow into the only platform on which to publish, the only platform on which to build a tribe, or rather the only organization that owns all the platforms. And the reason I, I, I support TikTok greatly in the kind of hope that it will grow to become substantially large is because I'm pretty certain that TikTok and looking at its investor base, I'm pretty certain they won't sell out to Facebook. I could be wrong. Again, I could be wrong about so many things. Um, but, but I definitely welcome the advent of TikTok. I definitely welcome the alternative. And I think that more now more than ever, as commentators, social commentators, influencers, now more than ever, we need to start building our own platforms and we need to start creating an environment for our tribe to connect with us. Because the challenge is, how do you promote that platform and how do you build that tribe? The only way you can really do it is by advertising on the mainstream social media platform. So there is a, we're in a difficult spot right now as influencers, as creators, as social commentators, I feel. Absolutely. And, that, you know, that's one of the things I... One of the things I mentioned in the article, actually, it's like, the, you know, the trend for this year is definitely omnipresence. Users now, and I, I look at, there's like essentially one report that you can rely on that comes out sort of May time from Ofcom. And last year was the first time it really showed that actually adults in the UK are using multiple platforms on a daily basis. They're not just using one or two anymore. It's not like Facebook and YouTube and that's it, where we're actually using three or the average adult is using three or four platforms a day. And I, and I think this is part of it as well. Everyone's you know, there's so much has happened over the last five years that I think we've had no choice but to be educated in the fact that you can't just go to one place for your news. You know, even if you're looking for, right, I've seen that one story and I'm just looking for validation elsewhere, I need to find it elsewhere. And, and I think this is, the metaverse I'm kind of scared of, 
you know, although I'm in social media and all that kind of stuff, I'm not a tech person at all. So it, it's kind of, it's an unknown for me. I've never got into the gaming thing either, but I 100%, I feel like we are, it's like the, being on the cusp of a revolution. Excuse me. <coughs> got the underfloor heating on so high, it's dried all the air out. Sorry. Yeah. I, I am with you on that. And this is actually is, is a very useful conversation. For me. I'm learning so much from you about what's happening and the importance of omnipresence. And I think you're so right that, you know, if you were only to, I guess it's going back to, if you were only to watch the BBC News at 10, as so many of our, like my granddad, that's all he did, watch the news once at 10 o'clock in the morning on BBC and watch the news once at 10 o'clock at night. And before they were deported from East Africa, he would do the same. My mother used to tell me he'd do the same listening to the BBC World Service. Now, if that's all you did, and I'm not pro or con the, the BBC, I'm just saying if that was the only platform you got your news from, you, you would have a very, very skewed view of the world. And I think you're quite right that this idea, I love that word omnipresence, yeah, we need to be everywhere at all times and have one place that is our own that can be almost like a gathering point for our tribe. And in fact, what you've just said there really does even put a rocket up my backside to say, like Dylan, you really need to, you need to get out on more platforms. And you've validated so much of what I'm feeling already is that you just need to get out there and you need to get this message out there you'll find people that will resonate with you. You know, I, I think it's, you'll find people that resonate with you, but everyone, we're all driven to share. Okay, even the most selfish people share because the selfishness is they're sharing something that they believe. So, right, an example, if you think, so TikTok has a demographic, you're unlikely to find a 60 plus year old cattle farmer living in Buckinghamshire sharing TikTok videos. And yet my 60-year-old cattle farming father living in Buckinghamshire sent me a WhatsApp message. You'll find this funny. And it was a TikTok video that had been forwarded on to him. This is the world we live in. Everything is shareable. You know, if it's in a platform where it can't be shared and it's being viewed on a mobile device, people just screen record it and share it. So we need to protect ourselves, I think, against the, the messages that are out there that are going to do us more harm than good. But if you've got something positive to share, you've got to make, you've, you have a responsibility to put it in front of the people that can share it in the right way. Fascinating, isn't it? And even when you, you look at that in context of these illusions that we live under, the illusions of fear, the illusions of separation, the illusion of insufficiency, the illusion of ownership, those illusions prevent so many people from sharing the majesty of who they are and, and having that beautiful expression of themselves because essentially we have been conditioned to believe that it's all about attention and more attention. And you've just said something there that I, I never really joined the dots on because I get WhatsApps from my parents with TikTok clips on um, and I screen record things to send to my wife. But yeah, I've never really thought about people screen recording my shares 
and people sharing my TikToks. And therefore, it doesn't really matter what the number of views and the number of likes and the number of loves are necessarily just that you're putting it out there and you are increasing the probability that your message might be shared. You're increasing the probability that your work might be distributed. You're increasing the probability that your message might land with somebody who perhaps is not even on the platform. That's fascinating, actually. Yeah. Yeah, this, is, this is as much of a masterclass for me um, <laughs> as anything. This is fantastic. Thank you. you. Know, it's, um, like I said, I, you know, I'm no influencer. I don't have millions of followers or, or anything like that. It's not a numbers game. It's a passion game. How many influencers, how many meaningful influencers are there that, don't, that lack passion? You know, and, and, and I think this is the thing. The more passionate you are about what you're talking about, the more likely people are, are to, to listen to you. But I want to write that down somewhere. I want, I want like a big notice in my library somewhere. I was just thinking, I need to write that down. It's a passion game that is just so powerful. And you just have to keep reminding yourself of that every time you post. And look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I just maybe I'm more conscious than, than I was before. Where, you know, why do I post on a particular platform? Because that's where my tribe is. What stops me being omnipresent? Because that's not where my tribe is. Um, and so there's this interesting kind of uh, conflict within me that, yes, I need to get my message out there. But actually, it's a really interesting conversation to have with you. It says, yeah, dear, stop being a dick. It's not a numbers <laughs> game. It's a passion game. Yeah. I love that. Excellent. Excellent. So one of the other things I wanted to touch on, and, and, and I can tie it to this because I, I was very quiet, shy, retiring. You wouldn't put me in front of a room at all. You know, I would, I would run away um, and because my expectations of myself were that um, below average was the best I was going to ever achieve, you know. And now clearly today I don't believe that. But, you know, at one point in my life, 100%, that was my belief system. And again, you you talk, you know, a people, I hope people go and sort of look you up and, and that kind of stuff. And if they do, you talk around sort of three laws of metaphysical and three orders of material. And I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to go into all of that. But when you're talking about one of the, the laws of the metaphysical, you talk about expectation. And there's this thing you describe where... Um, it's your thoughts create intentions, which create actions, which create expectations. And it's like, I'm not a manifestation person at all. Okay. But when you said, actually, we've got, you know, if, if we can manifest things, that's where it all truly starts. And I've probably hashed all of that up. So I'm saying this so you can correct me and put it all right. But in my head, there was one day, you know, one day I believed that, I can't do that stuff. I'm not good enough. And then the next, you know, like now I'm manifesting all the time that, you know, I'm going to be in front of stages with 500 plus audiences because I've done 200 plus now. I, you know, I wanted to be on a stage in an arena and there's no reason for me not to do that other than contacts, you know, so that's the action I need to take. So it just really kind of, went, you know, sometimes you look behind you at this trail of life experiences and you go, Oh, yeah, that's what I've been doing. Well, first of all, congratulations on making that breakthrough. 
and on getting in front of the 200 person audience, um, moving beyond below average, which you absolutely are. And it's just beautiful to see that, especially now knowing some of your background and maybe some of the thought loops that you were stuck in. So that's just stunningly beautiful. Secondly, you're so right about this kind of looking at your entire life experience and realizing that, yeah, you, 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 had exactly the right form words. Oh, right. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. And I think this is the essence of manifestation is the assumption fundamentally that the universe is always conspiring in your favor. So no matter what pitfalls you might tumble into and you know, what challenges you might face and what obstacles you might be short-term defeated by, the universe is always conspiring in your favour. And therefore, it's trite and a cliche to talk about learning from those experiences and learning from those um, stumbles and falls. But actually, I think it can transcend beyond the learning. And even if you don't necessarily get the learning, so I don't think you get the learning until you're way beyond that point. Quite often, you're not in an emotional state to experience the learning. And quite often when you're in the proverbial, you, you, you haven't made it through. So how can you take the learning from a situation that actually has not yet transcended into something positive? So I don't think it's necessarily about learning from those failures and those mistakes in the moment. But I think it's about having the expectation that the universe is conspiring in my favor. This is how it's meant to be. And if I feel really strongly about turning this thought into something that is tangible for me in the material world, i.e. manifestation, then I have to have an expectation of success, howsoever I define it. And so that loop, you know, thought leads to intention creates actions and should those accent those actions should kind of um, result in a manifestation there's that one piece missing between action and manifestation which is expectation of success because quite often the first actions we take are not the actions that will bear fruit they're the actions that will bear the challenges the obstacles that we need to overcome in order to manifest that which we truly desire. And so most people are stuck in a loop, which is thought, I think I want to do something, intention, here's how I want to do it, action, this is what I'm gonna do to do it. And so they take the action, they don't get the manifestation, they don't get the result they want. And so they move straight back to having a different thought. Okay, well now I'm gonna have a different thought about something else that I want. And I'm going to shape some intention around that something else that I want. I'm going to take action for that something else that I want. And then the action creates obstacles and friction and pitfalls and all sorts of challenges. And so then that half-built house, the metaphorical half-built house, the half-started project, the half-built business, the half-baked idea gets left behind and we go straight back to thought. And now we're thinking about something else. And you just have to look at people's goals list year on year on year on year to see you know, very rarely does the same goal in the same context, in the same format, appear on somebody's goals list year after year after year after year. Because we're just, we, we live in a world that we expect things to happen really quickly, not 
we live in a world where we expect the success we desire if we continue modifying the action. So not modifying the thought or the intention, but modifying the action. And the real loop that we need to find ourselves in is the loop between action and expectation. So I take an action. It doesn't work out well for me or certainly doesn't work out in the way that I hoped it would. Instead of going back to thought and just having a brand new thought about a brand new thing, about a brand new desire, you say to yourself, well, actually, look, I expect success. I've done this thing. It didn't work quite well. So what I'm going to do is just fine tune the thing, not fine tune the thought, fine tune the action. Now I'm going to keep fine tuning the action. I'm going to keep myself stuck in this loop of taking action, expecting success, taking action, expecting success until I manifest that success. Now, success, of course, is defined by the thought and the intention. But that, I think, is the loop that we need to find ourselves in for the things we care the most about. And I don't think anybody fails necessarily. I think that they just stop trying too soon. And, you know, we hear the 10,000 attempt light bulb moment, essentially. You know, we hear that metaphor, we or that, that story, that parable, that anecdote. Um, or even that, 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 that piece of history. But I don't think we ever really understand what it means. And I, I hope that by kind of outlining this idea of fine-tuning the action and ticking off the list, all those things that you've tried that didn't work and now trying something slightly different until you manifest the outcome. That, for me, is how the law of attraction really works. And the law of attraction is not about attracting things into your world. I mean, it, it is in a sense, but that's not how you manifest the outcome. The way that you manifest the outcome is by getting the traction. And the traction is only built when you indulge in the loop of taking action, expecting success, taking action, expecting success. So that's the loop I try and put myself in for the things I care the most about. And here's the thing, if I feel like giving up on something and it's kind of that feeling percolates inside me and won't leave me, that's the only time I make a conscious decision personally to say, perhaps that wasn't something I cared about enough. And then I make a conscious decision to, to, to either kind of throw in the towel on that thing or a conscious decision to say, no, actually, I, I do care about it. And I am prepared to put myself in the action expectation loop for as long as it takes until I get that thing. Is this something I'm committed to for life or not? If I'm not, why am I bothering? Because life is very short. We are, you know, we're alive for maybe 100. Talk now is if you're between 35 and 45, the way that longevity technologies are going, you could live to 150. So. Even 150 years old is a parenthesis on the cosmic timeline. It's like a speck of dust, gone. So life is short anyway. If you are not committed to an endeavor for life, why bother wasting a single minute on it right now? And that's where kind of I feel people maybe misunderstand the law of attraction. That beautifully, beautifully brings me to... The, the final thing I've highlighted on my many sheets of paper, um, you 
again, you know, I keep quoting you to you. I'm so sorry. Um, no, I love it. Cause... I feel like a celebrity. I feel like <laughs> this makes me feel like an age-old wise genius. I mean, this is just beautiful. No one's ever quoted me back. To, to me, I mean, this is wonderful. You carry on. I, I'm loving it. My ego is absolutely reveling in this glory. So please continue. <laughs> so your wife, your wife's going to hate me. Um, you, I've heard you say several times now, because um, obviously, you know, research and the rest of it, we need to ensure we have a net positive impact on the world. And like I said, it, it's a beautiful segue from, from what you've just been saying. Um, but I actually have a question this time. So... How do we ensure we have a net positive impact on the world? One way and one way only, and that is to elevate our individual levels of consciousness. And what I mean by that is, you know, moving away from compulsive actions, compulsive thoughts, compulsive behaviours, and at every stage monitoring what we're thinking about, how we're thinking, what we're doing, how we're doing, and what we're behaving like and how we're behaving like. And, and this idea, I guess you could think about this like, um, I, I had a, a, a module in one program I did last year. And it was, in fact, it was the beta release of the Metabundance Codes. And I talked about how, you know, the, the concept of observer and observed sometimes can get caught up in the kind of the, the, the language, the flowery woo language. But I think about it like this, like, I don't know if, it, if you ever played Mario Kart or Sonic the Hedgehog. So my wife was a Mario Kart fan when she was young. We've talked about this a few times. And, and I was Sonic the Hedgehog. I used to play it on my cousin's Sega Mega Drive all the time. So think about, like, you controlling Sonic. You are not Sonic, but you are controlling Sonic. And you are observing how Sonic collects those rings and beats that monster at the end. And, you know, quite often Sonic keeps getting caught in the same trap and you have to observe what's happening and you have to steer Sonic in a different direction. Well, I look at myself even as the controller of the Sonic. So I'm the controller and my physical existence is the Sonic. And that keeps me conscious. It's like I'm always, the, the, the eye is up here watching the me rather than the me operating at will. Because if I let the me operate at will, it, like that leads to like god-awful disaster because I'm very compulsive. I have a really addictive personality. Um, and it just can result in some... Uh, behaviors that are not conducive to my own evolution, leave alone the evolution of our species. And so the, the way that you leave a net positive impact on people, planet, flora, and fauna is at all points to be conscious of how you think and how you transact. So this could be as kind of base level as if you are planning to buy a supercar for example, it's a 12 miles per gallon supercar, then be conscious of the carbon footprint that that vehicle will live, that will, will, will leave, and understand what you need to do to have an impact on the environment in order that you can still drive the car and not sacrifice the, the, the 
the wonder and the majesty of this material world that we live in, but at the same time, not destroy the wonder and the majesty of the material world we live in. And, and my wife and I did the same. You know, we are on a, a journey to plant 8,000 trees in order to offset the carbon footprint we've estimated our family will have over the next 10 years. And in some way, shape or form, to offset the carbon footprint that we've had over the last 10 years, which has been inordinately high. Um, you know, I love traveling. I love cars. I love traveling. I love cars. I love traveling. I love cars. I love boats. You know, all this kind of stuff, this, this material world existence, because I didn't have it when I was young. I, I didn't have the convenience. I didn't have the luxury. I didn't have the comfort. And therefore, these are things that I have really wanted to experience in my life over the last 10 years. And when I met my now wife, you know, that was the one thing I really wanted to do when I was young. All I wanted was a passport that was full of stamps and, you know, all these things. And, and actually, I, we've just part exchanged the car, not, not because I, I want to necessarily have a lower carbon footprint, but because actually I, I've, I've had that experience now and the, 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 it just doesn't bring as much fulfillment to me as, as it did when I first picked the car up. So I guess this idea of net positive impact is just about being conscious, even in a relationship, um, whether it's a conversational relationship like you and I are having right now, or it's a, an intimate relationship like my wife and I have, or it's, it's a relationship that my cat and I have, it's a relationship that I might have with my joint venture partners, a relationship I might have with the jackdaws living in the chimney, the relationship I might have with the robin that lives in the tree, the relationship I might have with the two apple trees and the 18 other trees that we have on site here. These are all relationships with essentially things that are me. And I am the tree. I am the cat. The cat is me. The tree is me. And my role on this planet is to ensure that I never take more from the tree than I give. I never take more from the cat than I give. I never take more from my wife than I give because that allows me to leave a net positive impact. Now, if everybody's thinking like that, there is no risk that you will ever be poor because you've given too much. And when I talk about poor, yes, financially poor, but also spiritually poor, emotionally poor, psychologically poor, uh, physically poor, there will never be that risk because somebody else will be giving more than they're receiving. And a lot of that giving you will receive. And so you just kind of end up with this beautiful, united existence where everybody's kind of giving more than they're receiving and it just all balances out in the end. And again, there is no rationalization around this. I don't know how I give to the trees necessarily. I talk to them. I cuddle them sometimes. Um, I try and exchange cut elements with them. I don't know how I give more to my cat than I receive from her. And she's not even conscious of what she's doing necessarily, but I guess it's a philosophy a theology, a sociology, a practicality around how we exist in this world and, and what we want to do in this world and leaving this physical existence in, in after 150 years and being able to say, um, you know, I, I, I have left an impact that will extend beyond my physical existence here and I have not depleted mother earth of what she abundantly gave me 
and I've not depleted other human beings of what they abundantly gave me. I've not depleted flora and fauna for what they abundantly gave me. I have added in some way, shape or form. So that for me is what being net positive really, really means. Amazing. Dylan, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. I know you were, your day was running behind anyway, so I really appreciate you sort of still, still making time for me. I've just, I've absolutely loved this conversation, which I knew I would do, but I've just, you've, you're a beautiful soul. Thank you so much. Thank you Not so at all. much. Um, it was beautiful to be invited. There was absolutely no chance I was going to miss this at all. Um, and this has been, this, this conversation for me has been the icing on the cherry of the cake of what has been a magnificent day and a magnificent week. So thank you for just being brave enough to, to put your hand up during that talk and say, Dylan, come and talk. I'm just so grateful to be, I'm just so privileged to be able to share this message. And look, anything I can do for you, anything I can do for your tribe, um, anything you need, like I'm always here. So please just reach out. You, I'm, I'm always here for you. Fabulous. Thank you. Um, if people want to come and find you, wealth.yoga, is that the best place to go? Or Actually, the best place to find me now I have um, created a set of uniform social media handles, which I haven't had for quite some time. Actually, that's a lie because I'm just waiting for my TikTok renewal to come up. You know, you can't change your name more than once yeah. in 30 days. So I was experimenting with some tags and handles, seeing what was available and seeing what felt right. And so I changed my TikTok and it now won't let me change it. But anyway, I think by the time this goes out, I should have uniformity across all my social media handles. People can find me and I would love for people to connect with me at Vibe Hacker, V-I-B-E-H-A-C-K-R, Vibe Hacker. And please do find me, please do connect with me and let me know um, who you are, what you're doing and, and how we might be able to do some magical stuff together. 